Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Setting the Standard. So today we're interviewing somebody that you guys probably all already know. If any, if you're on Instagram, there's a good chance you've heard of him. His name's John Sorek, also goes by Johnny Oro. One of my biggest inspirations in this industry. So this is an absolute pleasure for me to do. It's I've been looking forward to it since I started the podcast. Let's dive right into the show. Chat soon. All right, here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome, Johnny. How are you doing today? Hey, Ian, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Brilliant, brilliant. No, I'm glad to have you on, man. Glad to finally yeah. get you back after all this time. It's been a while, but we're <laughs> back, and uh, it's it's beginning to be winter here in Minnesota. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet. Yeah, you yeah. Got snow already. Oh, it's been snowing for it snowed the entire week except for one day. So yeah, <laughs> better you than me. <laughs> all right, so. Yeah. Um, Start us off. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. I am John Sorich the Fourth. My uh, family business is Diamonds Direct in Minneapolis, Minnesota, since 1981. My uh, background is I am uh, a goldsmith, uh, a diamond setter, a hand engraver, uh, graduate gemologist, and um, I design jewelry at my at my family business. So yeah, um, I have been. Uh, Gosh, I suppose the the jewelry trade uh, journey started ten years ago, and so yeah, I've been working at my family business since uh, 2016. A little bit before that, I would come back and work during the busy season for a couple months. But I was living in Italy at that time, and I was finishing um, my studies, and so yeah. But uh, yeah, so I'm here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I. What else can I say? Nice, nice. <laughs> so. Did your did your family have the um, the shop when you were growing up as well? Then yeah, yeah, I grew up with it. Always there is the family uh, store, and I mean, it started off by me, uh, you know, being the one to dust and uh, you know, like vacuum and stuff like that, and uh, mm -hmm. clean glass. But uh, <laughs> that's where it all started. And then um, my my dad was always the the business owner and running the business, and. Uh, he was always telling me, don't bother the goldsmiths, don't go in there, it's dangerous. And there are a lot of dangerous things, there's sharp, you know, objects and chemicals, but it was always one of those things that as a kid, um, I was very curious to kind of be like, how does wax turn into gold, you know, and um, so it was, it was pretty cool to, uh, I had a, a couple of goldsmiths when I was young um, that, that, you know, allowed me to like, see what they're doing and stuff like that. So yeah. And one of them let me play um, her her Pac-Man game, the old school before Game Boy. It was like a toggle up, down, and a toggle left, right, and yep. that's where I, I have my loop right in front of me, and that's where I started. Uh, I did the Johnny Oro uh, Pac-Man <laughs> um, loop. Yeah, so this is my jeweler's loop. On one side is Pac-Man, on the other side is um, yeah. There's my uh, my name with a bunch of small diamonds and. Oh, Golden that's the, so, yeah. the one from your your Instagram picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice, nice. All right, so so what was it like in between, like being there on the shop floor as a kid to sort of starting? Because you said you were in in 2016. Yeah, because uh, when I was young, I always looked at it as sales, and I never looked at it as a creative outlet. I guess when you look at like the 80s and the 90s in the jewelry industry, it was very much just like you know, a different sort of uh, clientele at that at that point in the in the world. 
So I, I think a lot of people were, you know, especially in Minnesota, it was the land of white gold and channel set diamonds. It was like not much frills, not much, you know, interest, but I never looked at it as a creative outlet. And I wish in hindsight, it's always 2020, but I, I really wish I would have, um, you know, pursued that uh, at a younger age. But instead, I uh, decided to go into criminal justice and I did uh, juvenile oh, probation okay. work for three years full time. And at, instead of uh, working with violent teenagers, now I make jewelry and I'm much happier. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so what sort of led you down the path of, cause you, you started with engraving and then yes. the diamond setting. So like, how did you get onto those paths and how did you sort of find your way into specializing in those? Yeah. My, uh, my base goldsmith course was in Vicenza, Italy. And, um, I, I found that school just by, um, traveling there and visiting the school because I, I knew of Vicenza Oro and my family, you know, was encouraging me to become a goldsmith at that time. I was looking at a career change. I was 28. And so, uh, I decided to go ahead and look at the school. School was awesome. It was a four month course at that time and it was, um, full time. And I think I paid 630 euro for that, for that course, which was just like, it's a government <laughs> school. It's a trade school. So it was, um, literally like an arts and crafts school. So my, uh, my training started there and I did my, my foundational courses, uh, sawing, filing, mm -hmm. you know, all these things, soldering, uh, making wire, making, uh, sh you know, tubing from sheet, everything that you made was made from sheet metal or wire. And, um, so then from that I did a, a stone setting week and the stone setting week, we had to make our own gravers, our own tools. I, and like, I have a graver right in front of me, but, uh, you you get to like you know carve little shapes and that was kind of the introduction of okay now we're going to stone set and i was like this is really satisfying i loved drawing when i was uh, a young boy and then all the way up into high school i went pretty far into drawing but anyway um i never looked at it as like a super viable career path because no one at that age looked at you know the seniors and said, you can be a professional artist, which I wish someone would have, <laughs> but no one did. And uh, so I decided to go to school. And when I did uh, the engraving and the stone setting class, I just really, it, it came to me and I really uh, adapted it. And I thought, boy, I could bring this into drawing and I could, you know, engrave the drawings mm -hmm. and make art out of that. And then obviously stone setting part was a whole nother thing because at the time I, it was all looking over the shoulder. It wasn't anything to do with like a trinocular where you're able to see exactly what <laughs> yeah, the sure. professor's doing. It was like, look over my shoulder and we're all wearing optivisors. So uh, it was difficult uh, to, to start off. But yeah, then I discovered um, Sam Alfano's uh, Engravers Cafe. Yep. And I started to read Sam Alfano's uh, page like in the mornings and then one uh, morning I saw something to the effect of he had wrote, if you want to be a world-class diamond setter, this is the, the course to begin with. And it was Alexander School. It was that, that first YouTube uh, video that they came out with. 
And I probably watched it like all morning again and again. I was just obsessed. I was like, this is so cool. I can't, I can't believe this is a real thing. Right. And so I, I contacted the school and, uh, at that time there was a waiting list, but it wasn't terribly long. And I had uh, some military training to go back to the state sides to do. So I had made plans to do it, um, in 2015 and that's where it, that's where it was. So I did my um, my foundational goldsmith courses, and then I apprenticed for hand engraving. And then uh, about a year after being in the middle of my apprenticeship, I went to Alexander School. And I'm very glad that I was I had that engraving background because I knew the light, you know, how to you know bring the tool to the work and how to do those light cuts. And um, it's it just helped me a lot, I think, initially from mm-hmm. stone setting. So yeah. That's awesome. What's the structure of your business at the moment now? Uh, like, what would you say is the split of your retail work that you guys are doing with your shop? Are you doing any trade? And how much are you teaching at the moment? Yeah, uh, well, right now it is uh, December, or no, it's, it's it's not December, it's November 21st, and uh, we are in full swing of, um, you know, filling orders for, for Christmas, and so I'm not teaching at the moment, and I will definitely begin teaching again um, in the new year, but uh, for right now, we're in the middle of a lot. Uh, I'm the president of the company. And we are expanding our workshop to uh, accommodate another goldsmith and then also um, a larger workshop for I want to have two student benches. And right now I'm I'm in a pretty small space room for about two people. And um, so we're expanding the the workshop and we're updating our our showroom and we're getting new cases. So got a bunch going on. Uh, <laughs> so on top of that, I'm not teaching very much. And um, when I do teach, it's mostly me going to uh, different locations for the f- past few months. Gotcha. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Um, so back to sort of your transition uh, into the stone setting, like how, how exactly would you say that the, the hand push background helped you get into the, the more modern stone setting that you're doing? The, the hand push uh, background did help a lot. I would say the learning curve on hand push engraving is immense because not only are you, uh, you know, driving the tool yourself, so you can't, you have to learn that light amount of medium kind of pressure because you don't want to be too profound or too light or else you'll slip. Mm-hmm. But uh, another thing is you are hand sharpening everything with an Arkansas stone and emery paper. And so uh, that was just understanding how, without any handouts or, or really much, I had a couple books on hand engraving. Yeah. And, um, you know, the most recent uh, book, like the, the Jewelry Engraver's Handbook, it's written in the 50s. So uh, it's, it's, it's in drastic need for updating. But, um, yeah, they even in there, they even, I think, referenced the graver meister or something like that and it was like the first pneumatic system that they had back then yeah but now it's totally different with um you know my my background for hand push it was learning the old school way which absolutely helped um me a lot understand um how to use the graver the graver max and um carbide tools and how to get a nice clean cut but like i said the the learning curve was significant 
I was going home after, you know, my lessons with my uh, engraving master and I would be, uh, you know, engraving for hours, hours by myself, um, you know, in copper and in zinc. And uh, yeah, so I actually have uh, a ring that my professor engraved for me. Let's see how close we can get. But it's a dragon and there's this little wing. Oh, and this wow. Is all hand push. This is all hand push engraved. And um, so I learned from Michele Grigio in Padova, uh, Italy, in Veneto. And um, he changed my life. Uh, absolutely. I was able to see um, Michele. Um, my most recent trip to Italy was in September and October. And I taught two one-week classes. And I was able to um, to thank him and, and let him know, like, you know, I don't know where I would be without you. So that was really awesome to see him again. Yeah, it's amazing. It's an amazing story. Yeah. So if you were speaking to somebody who wanted to get into specifically the diamond setting now, um, would you recommend that they do hand push first? You know, suppose money's an issue and they can't afford the microscope. Is it worth doing the hand push first or is it just best to save up and go all in? Oh, man. I think if you save up and go all in without having kind of a, a little bit of a taste at first, I think that there's some great options for people that are interested but not sure how much time they can put into it. Let's say you have a family or you don't have uh, a great deal of money saved up to invest in tools. You can absolutely go to a class uh, like GRS or another uh, school that is going to have a, a little bit of an experience for you, like a one-week class. And you can get a really good taste of um, what engraving is like. And what the pneumatic systems do is it takes that learning curve away from um, not understanding how to maneuver the angle of your, uh, of your placement of your wrist and plowing through the metal. It's a huge learning curve uh, for, for hand push. But the pneumatic systems allow you to, a novice, to sit down uh, behind a... a a microscope and actually get some very successful cuts right off the bat. And then the other thing is just knowing how to sharpen your tools because mm -hmm. you can sit down with all of the tools and have everything. And then you still can't start because you're not even sure how to prepare the, the tools that you invested in. So I would definitely say having uh, some sort of structured class to give a, a taste for yourself is the more viable option. If you have a lot of time um, to to read, to uh, look at different um, engraving forms, you can absolutely find um, YouTube people explaining how to sharpen engravers and how to do some very um, beginning cuts. I actually have a couple of tools just next to me that I thought would be good for, for reference. Like this is a leather sandbag. And if you place just a, a copper plate on top of the leather sandbag and hold it, you can actually, you know, engrave a little bit with a hand push tool. So what does this cost? You know, maybe uh, $15 and, uh, you know, $5 and um, another maybe $10. So uh, that is, I think, uh, often overlooked. You can also, I used to take masking tape and I would tape it to a block of wood instead of using uh, um, and just hold the block of wood as I was engraving. Um, rather than a, a ball vise. And I have my first engraving vise, the <laughs> Pepe tools. And this thing's like, gosh, it's like 20 pounds. 
anyway um <laughs> so there's a there's a ton of like bells and whistles that you can get but i find that um if you can get that structured class at first and get a good taste of is this something i want to pursue and go further with then that would be that uh, opportunity for you yeah yeah perfect um so do you have any favorite jobs or jobs that you've worked on in the past that uh come to mind i love being able to combine stone setting with engraving i love that and yeah. whether it's an engagement ring or uh, a fashion piece or something that's significant like a signet ring that's more of like a symbol of um the client's you know uh, ideas i love being able to do that because it really makes me feel like humble that how far you know <laughs> i've come in the jewelry world it's often very easy for us to be our worst our own worst critics and um i think once you get some jobs that really you're like i got this this is going to turn out great and the customer is going to be very happy it's those jobs that you can combine things that you feel the most comfortable doing um but yeah actually i have a photo of uh it's, it's my business card picture of it um this was a greek athena signet ring that i did it was in 22 karat gold and it was an Italio, uh, an Italio wax seal ring. So okay. it was uh, for a customer that um, lived in Greece for a significant amount of time. And he fell in love with this uh, Greek woman. And this ring that he saw, he's like, it's always reminded me of my time in Greece. Can you make this? And it was like something in a museum in St. Petersburg uh, that he saw. And I'm like, we can try. And um, <laughs> at the time, I was actually still like at the very end of my apprenticeship with Michele in Vicenza, Italy. So I hand carried the ring back with me to Italy. And um, I worked on it for a couple months with Michele. And the, the result was just like awesome because it was something that I had never, you know, done before. And having him being able to help me through that process. Uh, the result was awesome. So um, that was all hand push engraved. Um, and That's amazing. Surprisingly enough, which graver do you think uh, you'd use for the majority of that? I mean, I don't know, like a flat? A round. You're just digging, ah. digging with a round. It's just like incredibly, I mean, 22 karat is like butter, but um, the, the round graver... Okay plows through it and once you get down to depth uh it's it's a lot of round gravers and just different sizes of them and um being able to uh use the tools uh to to essentially just carve out the inside but the cool thing nice. the really cool thing about doing a wax seal ring is you'll have a small piece of like plasticine which is basically like play-doh mm -hmm. and as you're engraving it you can push that into the engraving and you can look at it and you can see like how are we doing? And, you know, like see the engraving, like come to life, which is so unique of any other engraving. There's no way to kind of be like, how does the finished product going to look kind yeah. of thing? And just double check to make sure that your work is doing well. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so what, what would you say would be your, your favorite types of metal or stones to work with? And this can be for engraving and setting, like whatever you want to say. And then also, the counter to that, what would you say is like the worst metal to set or engrave in? Oh. The worst stones. <laughs> yeah. That's... Oh, God. Well, so uh, I think 
the lower carats of gold are um, very stubborn and, uh, you know, they can sometimes uh, cause issues just with the finishing. But uh, and then also just if you're going to engrave them, they can also be a little bit more difficult to work with. But my favorite is 18 karat yellow. And that's without a doubt uh, what I would prefer um, to to stone set, to engrave, to do everything with. Um, I think this the final product looks very rich and it elevates the whole piece by having um, a much more buttery gold um, rather than, you know, it being white or whatever. White gold, I love. It's just sometimes with, especially with colored stones, that 18 karat yellow just, it brings such a, an elevated, um, I don't know, prestige to the piece. Absolutely. If I'm going to pick a gemstone, um, I guess I would say fancy colored diamonds. I love fancy colored diamonds because <laughs> you don't have to be super like, you know, on the edge of your seat setting them and try not to, you know, I've set, Pariba tourmaline, I've set, you know, emerald, I've set some, you know, very soft, you know, like shell and all these other things. It's, it's like, you're always, you know, at the mercy <laughs> of whatever's going on in, inside the stone that most of the time you, you can't see. And um, with diamonds, it's just, it's almost foolproof, but I love sapphire as well. I love rubies. Um, and yeah, I, if I was going to say my favorite metals, 18 karat uh, yellow, and for a white metal, it would be platinum. So, yeah, platinum okay. engraves beautifully. And I love when you have a, a, a platinum ring that has like a nice, like, satin brushed finish on it, and you engrave some bright cut lines on top that contrast, it almost looks like it's been inked from certain directions because of the, the flash of the, of the light. Oh, yeah, such a, mm-hmm. such a good contrast. Yeah. Um, so, do you use casting in your work as well? Yeah, I do. And whenever I can, I'm always using a solid piece. So even if we are casting it, I will have, uh, you know, it cast as like a solid, you know, piece. And that way there's less uh, porosity and there's less risk of, you know, there being um, maybe, you know, as you're engraving or as you're stone setting, there's a giant pocket of porosity. Mm -hmm. So I, I still will have, you know, the uh the diamond setting done by hand and hand cut because i just find it polishes up nicer it's much more uniform and sometimes uh it's just a, a price point for the customers so rather than starting from you know every uh every part of it being uh, fabricated you'd have to you know just for the price point you'd have to have the casting element in there but yeah sure. there's a there's a lot of things that just casting there's so many so many things to consider and so many things that can go wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, you do a lot of fishtail, like you're always posting fishtail rings, you're doing colored stones, you're doing so much of it. Um, tell me how that came to be. Cause obviously like there's demand for it and like, what's the reception been like in the store and everything? It's been very good. And people, people love, I'm wearing my, uh, my, my French set ring. People love low profile. They love a little bit of flash on the side and um, having a, a beautiful setting in general is what people desire. You can pump up your own engraving work by you know, having uh, a little bit of that decorative uh, pattern on the side. So whether it's a castle set or, or French set, I think that um, people that want something a little bit more unique, um, they, they see that and 
when it's hand cut, it's totally different than I'm sure you've seen, uh, you know, cast fishtail and that sort of stuff. It just, it looks literally like fingers yeah, <laughs> and they're dull and everything's polished and it's rounded out. But when you see like the nice split with a sharp graver and it's, you know, got that mirror finish on it, it's awesome. So I, when I was at Alexander school, it was one of those things that's like just another step in what you learn. And I did, I, I don't know what compelled me, but I, I did a couple of rings um, bands when I was at the store. And I think that was one that was uh, sold like immediately. And so I made another one. <clears throat> and then uh, it's, it's at the point where it's like, I can't keep up. And we've been doing this for years. And I could make probably a whole business on just on just French set rings. Because, uh, you know, I've, I've set all the way up to half carat size, you know, like in French sets. So, yeah. Unreal. I know you, you've got some big ones too that you've done. And it's, it's like, <laughs> uh, one of them is like setting 14 center stones. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, it gets, uh, it gets a little hectic. I've definitely thought of going cast for some of those, to be honest, because it's just, yeah, it I becomes mean, excavation, like partly cast is, would be the idea, but it's. It's literally yeah. like the amount of cutting. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Partly cast would be acceptable. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. if you're going to do a uh, certain, you know, like, I don't know, can you get a, a solid ring that big in platinum anyway? <laughs> you're probably going to have to cast that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's fair, yeah. fair assumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh, so let's talk about the Florentine finishes that you use because those are just amazing. And I really I don't really see almost anybody else doing those. Um, tell me about the story of the history there and then the specific graver choices that you use and any tips yeah. you have for applying that. When I um, lived in Italy, I lived very close to Marco Vicego. And Marco Vicego is uh, an Italian designer in Tristino, Italy, which is just north of Vicenza. And um, it's a small village of like people that work in the jewelry industry. But um, at their facility, I went to tour it. Uh, a friend um, got me a tour. Uh, they had like four engravers at one table, just a ton of 18 karat yellow gold just on the table and all different shapes and different sizes and um, different uh, amounts of assembly. And they were all working like mad with their gravers holding them just with their hands and just uh engraving it on a little uh wooden uh bench peg and they were florentine finishing it with these very fine florentine gravers and um and i said uh like so can i try and they're like yeah sure and um so i sat down and i started doing uh it a little bit and they're like yeah hey he could he could work here um Um, as, as like, I was with a tour, there was a, another guy from Columbia that like owned a jewelry store. doesn't do any bench jewelry work. And I think he was basically like, kind of like, kind of trying to <laughs> figure out how did that guy just do that? Like he didn't know my background or anything, but, um, anyway, I, I thought that's a beautiful way to kind of show that the way that the light captures, uh, and hits the surface and reflects, it's just, it's one of the most difficult things to photograph is making Florentine finish look like it does in person, which most jewelry where you're taking pictures of small reflective, tiny things, it's very difficult to get a nice photograph, but um, it's one of those finishes that you have to see. 
in person. And when you uh, do different styles of uh, Florentine finish, you can make it flash uh, like the whole surface lights up or, you know, part of it or from two different directions. Uh, there's different, you know, reflections. And it's just a very unique way to, to finish jewelry. And you go to Florence, you see it everywhere. It's on the Ponte Vecchio. Really? It's, it's in all of the uh, shops. They have the goldsmiths. And I guess, you know, historically, I don't know how they did Florentine finish uh, that long ago. But, you know, the old way of polishing uh, gold was always burnishing it. So I imagine it probably started from some way of possibly doing it in that sort of method. But the Florentine finish was made famous by the Florentine um, goldsmiths at that time. And I, I don't know how long we're talking, but um, I'm not a, a goldsmith historian. But uh, I think you can definitely probably look back um in italian history that would definitely be one of those finishes that from a very early time was popular nice yeah. um so when you're applying this because i've i've read online i've never still never tried it myself yet yeah um i've read online though that there's different qualities of gravers and then yeah. you need to get a certain line count and well, everything yeah i have uh tools that i use that are more fine and tools that are more profound so uh, the first number is going to denote how many lines there are in the liner graver. Yep. And then the other one, I can't remember, uh, you know, what it goes up to denotes the, uh, the fineness to how profound the tool is for larger cuts. So you tend to see finer, uh, finer things on smaller pieces and more profound things on like a wedding band, like a, a thick band. But uh, obviously, it's as nice. It, people always ask, how long does Florentine finish last? And it's like, well, that's depending on uh, how nice that person is to their own jewelry. Because I've seen Florentine finishes that are from the 40s and 50s, and they're still there. Um, but then at the same time, you show someone uh, a wedding band that you sold like, you know, a couple of years ago, and it's, it just hasn't been taken care of because they're you know working out in it or they're gardening in it and they're doing all these kinds of crazy things uh or they're just very rough on their jewelry so uh yeah you have uh probably two different main ways to engrave you either do parallel lines all lining up the same or you do a crosshatch pattern that uh they would intersect and okay. um so the one that are, I, I do the most is uh, the crosshatch one, but um, occasionally I'll, I'll you know, set the stone and then around the, the uh, center stone, Florentine, everything. So it's like if it's a, in a geometric kind of cut, uh, like a step cut um, emerald or something like that, then we can have the Florentine finish kind of complement the gemstone and it really looks like a beautiful frame of, uh, of the, the setting. And it just, the light captures, uh, the, the light hits the gold in a totally different way than any other finish. So, yeah. And did you have any brand names of those liner gravers that you recommend specifically? You know what? They're all old new stock. I've never seen like uh, a company that is nowadays manufacturing them. I think that wow. uh, the machinery for that stuff I don't even know. I, 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 EC Muller is one that I, I know off the top of my head, but 
I couldn't tell you other ones. Um, and there's various different, uh, you know, graver uh, manufacturers that are simply out of business. So most of the time that I have bought them, they've been um, old, new old stock uh, from like okay. jewelry tool suppliers. Yeah. All right. But whenever you see them, buy them up because uh, you never know when the next opportunity is that you're going to be able to get them. They are expensive. Uh, of all the gravers, you see that those things carry a heavy price. Sometimes like one graver will be like $40. <laughs> but you're going mean, to get a lot of use out of it. Yeah, that's what I would have expected. That's what I would have yeah. expected. All right. And oh, so the number of uh, lines that it makes, if you have a wider band, obviously use a wider graver because it's going to take uh, less time. But then if you have a, a piece that you have to uh, do a lot of very delicate cuts, you might only go down to maybe four or six lines. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'd love to talk just a little bit about your, your lettering engraving because your lettering is, is I mean, I've, you know, sort of the people that I see pop up on my Instagram, you've definitely got probably my favorite lettering. Oh, man, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Oh, no, I appreciate that. <laughs> Um, my, what you don't realize and what I tell my students is that, uh, secretly as an engraver, what you, when you sign up to be an engraver, what you don't realize you've also signed up for is calligraphy class. And, um, you for sure, I mean, can practice, uh, calligraphy on a daily basis as a jeweler, if you, if you decide to, but, um, just like anything else, it's a skill. And I have worked on it for years and it all goes from, you know, learning script and learning Roman and Roman. It's easy to, to do straight lines and serifs, uh, but the script, that's a whole nother thing. And being able to gracefully make it look in a, a pleasing way that all matches mm -hmm. because very often people will handwrite it. And it doesn't uh, have too many things that's similar that maybe you could improve on. So whenever I can, uh, I, I look for calligraphy books that I really enjoy. And um, I'm always practicing. And at, at work, obviously, I know this sounds weird. I'm more accurate with my graver than with my pencil if I'm, you know, hand uh, cutting the piece. It's going to be way more accurate than um, when I do something by pencil. It's just simply a guide. So yeah, yeah, I, I see that. I can I can see how that uh, that works for sure. That that repetition, you'd fill a whole plate of you know beauty stems or a specific uh, shape of a cut. Okay, and that would be how you build all these letters. So, but yeah, um, there's so many amazing uh, engravers out there that do beautiful lettering, and um, just talk to them. They're going to tell you it all starts with a pencil. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's um, something I'd love to find the time to do. <laughs> it does take a ton one of time. One day. Um, yeah. my, my one question I had specifically regarding that is I see other guys who do a lot of lettering, specifically Sam Alfano, because I've seen his, uh, his instructional DVDs. And he uses a flat for letters. And it looks to me like you're using uh, a 120. Can you tell me oh, about... Yeah the reasoning there and, and why you do that. I'll give you a story too. Um, <laughs> and um, it was in April. Uh, I went out to GRS uh, or no, you know what? It was, it was last October. So it was a year ago. I went out to GRS 
And um, I did a small demonstration while I was there because I was out there to be interviewed to be a, an instructor. And uh, they they had Sam Alfano's class going on and Lane Zolke was also teaching a class. And I, uh, I sat down and I showed them, um, you know, how I did letters on the inside of a ring. And uh, as I was cutting it, uh, you know, Sam was watching and he goes, you're, you, you're, you're beveling the opposite direction than what like is kind of traditionally taught and done. And I'm like, Oh shit. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, I like the results that you're getting. You know, I, I might have to steal that. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, good. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Said, you know, Sam, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, Lane Zolke, uh, another great friend of mine, he, he recommends if you're going to practice lettering or if you're going to practice engraving, stick to one graver for one year and just use that and then know how to use that tool very well. Because often people will be like, I'm going to get a 105, I'm going to get a 90, I'm going to get a 120, I'm going to do all these and I'm going to get a flat and then I'm going to, you know, learn engraving. And it's like, but learn how to command that 120 or that 105 really well. And just stick to that. And then you get a real nice consistency of knowing how to roll the graver, how to uh, transition curves. It takes a lot of time. And if I could give one piece of advice, I would echo Lane Zolke's advice of using a 120 or a 105 for a year and um, just knowing how to use that. But the flat graver, I got to tell you, that I can remember, uh, I, I don't remember doing any lettering with a flat graver other than as an, a, an apprentice and reading books and being like, oh, this is, this is how lettering is done. Because uh, you're using the, the corner of it. So rather than like, I mean, if this is the flat graver, you're using just this part here. So that's basically a 120. So, uh, you know, you could, you could absolutely say just, just use that. And for all of my inside ring engravings, other than, you know, a few specific cases, the lion's share of it is done with a 120. Wild. Got to try some of that. Yeah, you should. It's All fun. Right. All right. I appreciate <laughs> that, man. I can, I can tell you this. Uh, my, my father has been a uh, jeweler for 50 years, and he said engraving the inside of a ring used to be just a normal step in the process. It would go, you know, to casting, to finishing, to, uh, you know, stone setting, and then it would be sent to the engraver to get, you know, personalized. And I think, I think what happened was everyone got the, the little scribe tool that goes on the inside of the ring. Yep. And they're like, oh, yeah, it'll be engraved, but it's just scratched with this little scribe. So that's not engraving, that's scratching. And uh, <laughs> so the inside ring was always, you know, just done in the shop all of a sudden. And so probably a lot of the engravers just were dried up, you know, their inside ring engraving work, but it's having a definite revival because, um, I can tell you people's faces just light up when they see, you know, their initials and their, you know, a special date or a term of endearment and inside their, their wedding band, it personalizes it. And it's one of those things that only they know it's there. And people often, you know, will, will ask me, you know, uh, about, you know, little details and I'm like, yeah, but that person knows it's there and that's what's special to them about it. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. That's brilliant, man. Mm -hmm. um, 
so in our in our speaking together outside of this podcast, um, we've talked a little bit about Grunberger diamonds yeah. and uh, and China stone. Um, Grunberger, right here. Micro yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, I'd love I'd love to know if you because I've seen some of their price lists. I'd love to know if off the top of your head you have some sort of idea what sort of premium you pay for those over what might be considered sort of standard diamond and gemstone costs and then why you choose to to pay that premium like how, how what makes it worth it to you off the top of my head i can't tell you what that premium would be because i get all of my melly from grunberger and here's gotcha. why okay my uh my work is sped up with consistency and if i don't have to worry about um a different girdle thickness or a different crown or pavilion depth then that speeds my work up because when I use uncalibrated melee, like I'm using a customer's diamonds or something like that, uh, you have various different cuts and it, it doesn't look the same or it doesn't look consistent because when all of them are cut the same and you have a ton of them, you can definitely see the difference in your work and it's going to elevate your work. So whenever I can, um, I'm, I'm able to... Another thing uh, that Grunberger does that's awesome and in more, more companies should do this is very good customer service. So I know that when I order something specific, the benefits being um, and, you know, whenever you're using calibrated gemstones, that it speeds up your work, that you don't have to worry about uh, crown angle, pavilion depth, girdle thickness. Yeah, absolutely. All of that is going to match up to. You're consistently, uh, you know, everything's on the same depth and the same, uh, you know, height. You don't want things going dit, 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 all like that. Uh, you want to have consistency. And so it speeds my work up. So I don't have to worry about when I order uh, two millimeter. I know that it's coming within my, uh, you know, specifications within, you know, uh, five hundredths of a millimeter or, uh, you know, a tenth of a millimeter that they're all yeah. going to be stones that I'm going to be able to go much faster with. And same goes for China stone. Uh, China stone does beautiful uh, colored stones. And my, uh, my experience with them has been their cuts are top. Absolutely. Oh, they're unreal. And their, their color combinations. Um, I have this little book that shows all the different uh, colors that you can order. And it's like a little paint chip book. You can just, figure out what color you want just from the the book so it's pretty cool and um i think that they're opening a location in dc which is gonna be uh exciting for for goldsmiths in the u.s because uh they used to be shipping from bangkok thailand and so that's uh, a much different uh price point for shipping so ah uh, yeah that'll be a game changer for the small yeah. like when you need a small lot hey shipping well i mean if if you're shipping uh you know a lot uh then that you know adds up at the end of the year doesn't it <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah for sure yeah for sure cool man well thank you for that so you've seen some massive instagram growth recently uh what <laughs> to put it lightly i can't i can't believe it so what would you attribute that to and can you give us some pointers on sort of content creation or your thought process in what you've been putting out there that you think might have led to this? Yeah. Uh, my partner works in PR. And uh, so he is very good at messaging and very good at uh, communicating, you know, and, and showing, you know, images and stuff like that. So 
when he saw my Instagram, he's like, yeah, your Instagram's really cool. Um, you know what you should start doing? You should start doing reels. And I'm like, oh God, here goes another thing that I have to learn. And so um, I, I, I tried to do one and it took me like an hour and he's like, okay, well, you have to orient, like the video has to be like, you know, it has <laughs> yeah. to be, you know, oriented. So when people are watching the phone, it's not like there's two giant black box at the top. And so I, you know, I changed the video and he's like, okay, well, why did you pick this music? I'm like, I don't know. I just picked it randomly. He's like, well, the music is really important and you have to also do the transitions with the beat of the music and all that stuff. That's what people like. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is, this is a lot. <laughs> and so, uh, but you know, I, you just get good at it. Eventually. Um, I have my trinocular. So if I'm making a video, believe it or not, I'm actually videoing with my iPhone, <laughs> the screen in which I'm, uh, you know, displaying, uh, on the monitor, uh, what's in my trinocular. So I use that video. And then I also use some videos of me holding, um, you know, the, the piece of jewelry, maybe twirling it around in the light. And, uh, between those two combinations, I, I'm able to make the reels and reels is what has just blasted, uh, my Instagram account. And so when I started making, uh, reels more often, um, I just, it was just, you know, okay, I'm going to make one this week and it's going to be this project that I'm working on. And it just seemed like, you know, I was just doing another little coin in the bucket, like it'll fill up eventually. But, um, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes you think you're going to make a video that's like, man, this is, this is going to get a lot of attention and it just flops. So <laughs> you have to just, you have to just, uh, take a deep breath and be like, you know what? Just got to keep showing up. <laughs> and that's so, right. uh, so I, I was doing them and for some reason, this one video that I did using a customer's diamonds and I handmade the setting, but I just showed it to completion uh, it got like 3 million views. And that's what just like my Instagram just blew up. I couldn't believe, uh, you know, I went from, I literally went from, I think I had 40, 40 K and I had like within a couple months, I had another 40 K and <laughs> I couldn't believe it. And it's just been steadily growing since then. And yeah, I think I'm, well, my, my Instagram now is at a hundred thousand and I, I think it's, it's purely because reels is, is what I've adapted to. Amazing. Yeah. It's a really cool story. <laughs> um, now with that growth, like, have you, have you seen sort of a, a proportional increase in business or inquiries, sales? A specifically? lot of inquiries. Um, and for me, I, it's hard for me to, uh, to really, uh, you know, manage this cause I'm doing this all by my, my, myself. So I'm at the point now where I'm like, boy, you know, do I have one of my employees help, you know, manage, uh, the, the jobs, but a lot of what it has gone down to is fortunately we have a, a storefront and a business and mm -hmm. I have employees. So I've said, here's my assistant and, you know, email them or call the store and, you know, say, this is what I'm looking for. And, you know, so I do have a team of people that are able to help me, but getting to that point is, um, is more difficult than I, than I thought, because I don't have a website right now that is e-commerce that you can just, you know, click, click, drop it in the basket. But what we do have is a much more customized uh, relationship with our customers. And I find that people come back to us, 
for that, for that customer service. And for the people that don't offer customer service, um, there's, you know, I'm not going to name names, but there's other uh, big brand jewelry stores in our neighborhood. And, you know, when they order uh, um, an engagement ring and it needs to be sized uh, and they tell them that it's a six week turnaround to get it sized, you know, the ring that you just bought for, you know, a lot of money more, most people, this is a very significant purchase for them. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, then they come to our store and we have it in their hand, you know, in, in, a, in a week, they're like, wow, <laughs> I'm, I think I'm going to come here next time. So, yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. All right. Um, let's see here. Sorry, mate. Um, So what was your what was your experience like teaching at GRS and, and at the Italian school and uh, do you continue to do you intend to continue teaching in the future? I'm absolutely going to continue teaching. It's been uh, a lot of energy uh, and a lot of um, you know very uh, enthusiastic people that really it, I feed off of that. I want people to uh, be excited because I'm excited to to show them and I remember what it was like to be at that stage where you're like, gosh, I, I just, I'm almost there, you know, like I just hit my stride. And, um, I think that, uh, for, for me, like traveling and everything, it's, it's a lot of fun, but it is, it's a major toll to be like getting on it's flights a big commitment. And, and staying in hotels and that sort of stuff. It's, it's, uh, can be lonely. It can also be, uh, just really exciting and fun because you meet so many interesting people and they all are coming from a different background. So you're able to learn from those students as well. And I think it's, it's a great opportunity for, uh, for me to, um, to have in my life to be able to pass on what was very uh, graciously you know, taught to me. And I, I can't say enough good things about my instructors that I learned from. They, they absolutely invested time in me because they were passionate about doing it and I mean, gosh, I, I come from uh, my engraving background of my uh, professor in Italy is from an unbroken chain of engravers since, you know, the beginning of uh, engraving in the 1400s. So <laughs> it's pretty cool to, to, to think like you're a part of a story of, you know, art that has been carried on for this long. And will it will it continue? It's up to you. That's yeah. awesome. Um what um what do you wish somebody had told you when you first started out? Oh man. Um It's a very good question. I think uh be patient. Be patient because it's going to happen. It might not happen as fast as you want it to happen, but you will be successful and you will uh find uh your stride because very often um, you're like, man, I love this. You know, I want to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's a great goal. But first we got to do the journey to get there. You know, we can't just jump into making, uh, you know, a Fabergé egg, you know, day, yeah. day one, you know, it's like, uh, you got to learn how to do a lot before you can even get there. And, um, I think, uh, some of the best advice that I've gotten from my professors has been, uh, pick a project one project like a year that really challenges you in any stage of your experience and do that project to completion and 
have that as a way to uh, to challenge yourself because I think we get very comfortable and very cozy in like what we do and you know you can obviously uh, hone that skill and you can get better at it but I don't think you get much better than that without challenging yourself so I think managing opportunities of students is something I have to do and I love it when students um, reach out to me after I, I haven't spoken to them you know in, in a while and um, they they're able to show me look at what I'm what I'm doing now you know and uh, I'm using the tools or I'm using the techniques that you taught me and it just it, it's really uh, an awesome feeling for me to to pass that on yeah absolutely absolutely actually I gotta Send a shout out to somebody that um, Balance Samad, I believe, is yeah, tag Balance. on Instagram. Man, Mad his work's Balance. gone. His work's gone crazy since you taught him. That's amazing. He's he's really one of the students. Him and Castro came from uh, London, and they were in Vicenza with me um, and an international group, and and you know metalsmiths in uh, Vicenza. And my uh, my students, all of them, it made it so much nicer to be able to like have uh, uh, that experience of. A very fun group of people made it less lonely, you know. And so, um, I think it's it's different uh, when you have more international sort of people that are coming from not just different parts of your own country, but vastly different backgrounds, <laughs> you know. And um, Balance was one of those guys that, uh, you know, he speaks fluent Hungarian, and uh, you know, he uh, is coming in from. Uh, his jewelry background from the UK and um, just understanding uh, everyone's journey is also part of the, the thing that I love about meeting students. And um, he's done really awesome. I'm excited to see where he goes with it. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. um, so what would you say is the next step for yourself and your business? Gosh, um, I think, you know, I need to continue to learn my, uh, my skills are, are you know where they're at now because I have the support of my family, but also um, you know I, I have a lot of people that are on my cheer team, and you know it's it's having that balance of being able to to work and being able to make a living out of it, but also finding time to invest in yourself. And I would love to be able to tra to to travel more. And to mm -hmm. learn from uh, more people that uh, I really are inspired by their work. Um, a small thing of what I'm doing now is um, I'm really getting more into the art of hand engraving. And I'm actually doing um, printmaking stuff. So I, I'm probably biting off way more than I can chew. But <laughs> I got like uh, a large copper plate <laughs> that I'm going to be hand engraving Um uh, a historic engraving. And the more I learn about um, hand engraving, um, there's another really good book for people that are interested in the art of hand engraving. It's called The Brilliant Line. It's from the uh, Rhode, of, uh, 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 Rhode Island School of Design. And um, you can actually read this for free on the internet. Um, so, uh, But if you like the paper copy, because there's just some massively insane, beautiful drawings, this is an engraving. Uh, you can see the amount of detail and that sort of stuff. So um, it, it breaks it down into actually being more of like a uh, an art class. So you have some insanely detailed, and this when we zoom in, we can see they're all individual lines. Wow. 
and um, some really funky, crazy sort of stuff too. <laughs> but anyway, um, I would say, uh, you know, the next step for me is pursuing more of the art side of, um, of hand engraving. And I'm really excited to do that. And did you have any, any, any of these people that you say that you'd like to sort of travel and learn from? Do you have any, any of them off the top of your head, some names? Boy, um, you know, for Cassie in, uh, in Brescia, Italy, uh, they're on the level of, uh, you know, the highest form of engraving. And uh, when you look at Fricassi's work, uh, wow, it's mm -hmm. mesmerizing. It has engravers, you know, mouths are on the floor, you know, when they look at uh, some of their stuff. So I think um, being able to, uh, to learn from Fricassi would be incredible. I would love to take uh, an, an individual class with Sam Alfano. He's been a long time uh, mentor and um, now friend. Uh, being an instructor for GRS has allowed me to, to make some amazing friendships and people that I have long admired. Um, gosh, you know, like it, it would just be like this never, I could probably stay busy for an entire year of just traveling and, <laughs> and doing uh, workshops with people, but man amazing uh you know and there's so many um wonderful engravers out there that do stuff that's totally different than me and um i think uh you know eventually if i can go to japan as well that would be uh, amazing um castro smith one of my friends uh from uh from the uk who's an amazing engraver he uh he went to japan and he was telling me about his experience and i actually uh wrote to one of the um engraving uh um, teachers out there and they sent me uh some of their japanese uh, <clears throat> engraving tools um and it was just so awesome to, to be able to feel like a total novice again because <laughs> the way that uh the japanese engraving is is they will tap the chisel Jeez. towards them engraving towards themselves so yeah Okay, uh, I'm unfortunately going to need to wrap this up here, Johnny, but I really, really do appreciate your time. No problem, uh, man. It's been a phenomenal talk here, mate. Uh, it's, it's been great. It really has. Um, and I look forward to checking back and maybe getting you back on the show in five or six years when you finish that big plate. For sure. <laughs> it might be that, yeah. But uh, until those, then, mate. It's one of those big projects. You got to do it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, well, thanks again. Cheers. All right, so that's the end. I want to thank everybody for listening in today. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. You guys should definitely be subscribing to my YouTube channel. I'm going to be putting out more of these video podcasts in the future, and you're definitely not going to want to miss any of them. I've got some other ideas for some videos that are going to be coming out soon. I've got a review of the Dado in the works and uh, a couple other cool ones that I think you guys are going to like. And once again, check out my website. I've got a lot of cool stuff on there, and the courses are coming out soon. The Fishtail is coming out this month, as I mentioned, and I've got a lot of other courses in the works that I'm going to be dripping out over the next, uh, the foreseeable future. So if you've got anything specific you're looking to learn when it comes to micro diamond setting, definitely drop me an email. Get on the newsletter. You'll be the first to hear about them and uh, anything else that I'm putting out. So thanks for coming along, guys. We'll chat soon.